Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode 16. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you are an author needing to polish your book before you launch it or you need coaching and help to launch your staggering work of genius, please check out the services at BookLaunchMentor.com. In a couple of weeks, I'll be hosting my very first mentoring project with 12 people. So 12 people will be my project, but no, that wasn't worded well. But anyway, we're going to spend some time together and help uncover the writer in each of them. So if you're interested in that, check out some of the services at booklaunchmentor.com. And also, if you're interested in advertising on this podcast, you can email me directly at mary at marydemuth.com. All right. So today I am welcoming author and speaker Kathy Lipp to the Restory Show. We have known each other quite a long time, and she shares one of those stories that's an uh-oh story. Um, have you ever had a situation where you just blew it, or you made a mistake, or you forgot something. And I, I actually had that happen recently where I totally blew off two friends for lunch and I, I got a call in the middle of a long run. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. So we all have these kinds of situations and we need to offer ourselves grace. But what I love about this conversation I have with Kathy is that she definitely looked at what happened in her life and then she decided to do something about it. And I think that's the crux of kind of this whole idea of restoring is looking and evaluating your life and then making some choices to change that. And of course, that's met with the Lord and what He does. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I have a feeling you will, and I wanted it to be at the very beginning of the year because I think it's going to really resonate with you as you make your goals for the year. So here's Kathy Lip. Hey everyone, it's Mary again with the Restory Show, and I'm really excited to have my friend Kathy Lip on. And Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show today. Anything for you, Mary. Anything. <laughs> I'm trying to remember when we first, first, first met, and I can't think of it. You know, I th- it, Facebook makes everything fuzzy, doesn't it? it? Does. <laughs> That's uh, tweetable. I think I knew about you for a long time before we interacted. But I'll I'll tell you the first time that I knew I was indebted to you for life is <laughs> you were already an established writer and I I was doing my first book and you know now now I look back at the audacity I had to ask you and a couple other people for endorsements and the fact that you said yes I'm I'm still grateful to this day. So, you know, it was such an encouragement. I didn't know that most people just say no. And so that was so encouraging to me. So that's what I'll always remember you with fondness and gratitude. Well, and I will remember you as when I came out to your way and we had pedicures together, which means that I truly love you because <laughs> I don't, uh, pedicures make me angry. I want to kick people. And so oh, I, I had no idea, but I like the end result. And so as long, I just don't like my feet touched. I want to, my first reaction is to kick somebody. So, oh my goodness. So that was a true act of love. I'm going <laughs> to, 
And you know what? It's so funny. I use pedicures as a bond. I don't enjoy, like, I'm not, I don't enjoy going to get my nails done or anything like that. It's a necessary evil. (laughs) And so I just asked, I'm going to be meeting up with some friends this weekend. And I said, hey, do you want to go get pedicures done? And I always assumed I'm the only one who doesn't like them. (laughs) So for every other girl, this is like, wee! It's like very sex in the city kind of thing. But now I've got some insight. It's not just me. That's good to know. Next time we'll go out to, well, we did go out to eat. So it's all good. As long as we have food involved, it's good. Eating is usually a throw throw it down. You, You you win with everybody. That's yes. right. That's right. Well, um, why don't you bring listeners up to date on who you are? And um, many people are probably familiar with who you are, but just kind of give us a, a rundown of where you grew up, how you met Christ. Of course, Roger needs to be in there somewhere. <laughs> and uh, just give us an up to date. Yeah, I am the least California, California girl in the entire world. I was born here, but my parents are from the Midwest. So, you know, I feel very Midwestern, even though I've never lived in the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> that was until this election. And then I went to start You're still California. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, apparently I am totally California <laughs> because I thought the entire world thought this way. I was wrong. So, um, but my, my parents, you know, came here from the Midwest. They emigrated. They did. They did. And so I've grown up here my whole life in the Bay Area. I'm surrounded by tech geeks. Um, I'm married to one. I'm stepmom to one. You know, so there are lots of them in my family. And uh, I like it that way. And I came to know Christ. Uh, Somebody invited me to church when I was 15. And I went for several months. And then Easter night, I heard a salvation message. And I'd grown up in a church that had never really talked about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I mean, when I say grown up, I was confirmed, but, you know, we only went for the, you know, major holidays. And so this was something new to me. And so I'm really grateful for youth workers and people who make church someplace that kids want to be because it changed the course of my life and my family's life. Yeah. And isn't that a really good indication? Like, I think these days in our world that we live in, we think it's like cumbersome to ask someone to come to church with us, or we might be afraid to, but it can really change someone's life. And that's such a simple request. Yeah. You know, it's saying share, share in something that's important to me. And so, uh, yeah, you know, at the time, probably my motivations were like, oh, cute, cute guys. boys. <laughs> exactly. You know, God, God uses all sorts of ways. But, um, and I did end up meeting my first husband in that youth group. So. There you go. You got what you went for, I guess. I went for. I don't know if I got what I needed, but I got what I went for. But two great kids out of that. Roger and I are a blended family. So I've got t- uh, two step kids, two kids. I have a son-in-law now. And uh, we we still live here in Silicon Valley and um, doing life, we've got the the kids are all grown, but they all live locally, which I know is a temporary blessing, but I'll take it. And yeah, so I and I write and I speak. So I do a lot with clutter and marriage. And uh, I have a book coming out in January called Overwhelmed. It's all about how to quiet the chaos in your life and restore your sanity. So my my books are really about how to be restored is really what 
In fact, that's the name of the next book I'm working on. But it's all about kind of restoring our settings and saying, okay, what is it about God's joy that I'm missing right now? And how do I get back to that place? I love that. And I, I will say that your books are highly relatable and you are highly relatable when you speak. You're a great speaker and it's been really fun to watch your journey. But give us also just a little snapshot of how you ended up being a writer, speaker, speaker, writer. It's the least sexy story <laughs> ever. <laughs> Share away. <laughs> I had, you know, gone to public speaking classes in high school and stuff, but I'd never really thought about doing that. And then when my kids were super little, I mean, I'm talking like one, two, three, I can't remember exactly, but right around those ages, I was doing a lot of bulk cooking, you know, freezer cooking was very big in the 90s. And so I was doing massive amounts of freezer cooking, not just for us, but also for some friends and things like that. And so my women's ministry leader said, Kathy, I'd really like for you to speak on freezer cooking. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't do that. That's not, in fact, I got, I said yes, because I'm a people pleaser, but then I tried to call her back and cancel. <laughs> and I couldn't get a hold of her all night. She had a busy signal, which I know nobody even knows what that is anymore. <laughs> so um, we start, I, I started preparing for this and I got a little bit of feedback and I realized I really did like speaking. And so as I tried to figure out more how to become a speaker, I went to a retreat with Kathy Collard Miller and I asked her about being a speaker and she told me, go to this one training program. And so I did. And they said, well, if you're going to be a speaker, you have to be a writer. And I thought, well, I'm <laughs> dyslexic, so that's not really going to work. But with the advent of computers and um, spell check, it was, it was <laughs> possible. So that's how it all started. I ended up putting it aside for a while while I was a single mom. And then Roger was the one who really encouraged me to really pursue it uh, full throttle. And so about four years after he and I got married is when my first book came out. Wow. So how many years have you been married now? Roger. We've been married 11 years. That's awesome. Yeah, you guys really like each other. And that's one of the things I appreciate on your social media. You you are very, both are very good about building each other up and saying kind things about each other. It's really refreshing. You know, I think that when we both came from not great first marriages, and so I think we, we go into this knowing that it's rare. Uh, not rare, but it's not a given that marriage is going to be easy. And I think people figure that out later on, but we're, we're really grateful. And so, you know, and we're like everybody else, he's wrong sometimes and <laughs> I bear with it, but we do, I do feel like we're on the same team, which is a very good feeling to have in a world. Yeah. And lovely that he cheerleads you in your dreams. Yeah. He's amazing. I'm, I'm really grateful. That's awesome. So uh, when I prepped you for this, I said to pray about a story that you wanted to share on the Restory show, and you had one that popped into your mind. So uh, let's go ahead and share that story. Tell us a little bit about the background. And and of course, Roger comes off looking great in this story. <laughs> Not so much. It was when I was writing my third book. It was The Me Project. And actually, The Me Project was kind of the book that 
I'd always wanted to write, but I had to write a couple of books to get to it. And the me project was just about, okay, 21 days to figure out who you want to be when you grow up pretty much. And I had this really great story in there and it was told to me by a, a woman who is a missionary and she goes into some not so safe places. She's a nurse. So she's able to get there on humanitarian means, but really she She's a missionary is what she is, but she can't call herself that because she's going into places where uh, not only could you be imprisoned, you could be killed. Well, I had asked her when I originally was writing the book, can I use your first name? And she said, yeah, it's such a common first name. Don't even worry about it. And for the purposes of this interview and the story I'm telling, I'm going to call her Jackie. So I said, Jackie, can I use your first name? She said, sure, no problem. Well, I posted something on Facebook saying, I'm so excited. You know, this book is is done. And I sent it off to my publisher. Well, Jackie contacted me and she said, you know, Kathy, I've really been thinking about this. And she goes, I know I signed a release. I know that we're all cool for you to use my name. But the more I think about it, the more I, I would like you to change my name. And I said, well, of course, I'm happy to do that. It's no big deal. You know, it's at my editors right now. But of course, we can do that. So didn't think anything of it. You know, that's such a minor thing, you know, from writing books. We're, we're not even in the editorial stages yet. Totally changeable. Have you ever forgotten something <laughs> really, really important? Never. <laughs> Always. So a couple months later, I said, yeah, I posted on Facebook that the book was at the printers. I was so excited. <laughs> you know, there are these major milestones in the book. And so... And because a lot of my friends on Facebook are, are writers, they'll cheer you on as well. Well, so I posted, it's at the printers, it's done, it's in the can. I felt so good because, you know, even if I wanted to, there's nothing I could change. <laughs> These are the words I said. I can't believe it. So my brother shared that status. My brother happens to be friends with this missionary and she contacted me. She said, thank you so much for changing my name. Mary, I completely, I cannot believe. It, it's it's like it's like forgetting to pick your kid up at the daycare center. It's like leaving your bag on top of your car as you're driving. I I couldn't believe it. So of course this is all happening after hours. I am flipping out. So Roger and I I said, what do I do? Because this is at the printers to buy all those copies. Even if my publisher gave me the best discount ever. It's going to be tens of thousands of dollars. And Roger says, Kathy, we have to do it. And I'm like, no, we can get out of this. There has to be a way. You know, I have a signed release from her. I know I feel terrible that I'm even talking about this, but you know, I have a signed release from her legally. And so this, this thought flitted through my mind, but I have to say it flitted several times. Yes. I'm like, no, I can't do that. But you know, we're not, we're not broke. But we are not wealthy people. We don't have tens of thousands of dollars sitting around for my random mistakes. And so I, I, I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Could I buy the books and Sharpie her name? I mean, I thought of everything I could do. And I, I mean, I agonized for way too long. And then Roger said, you know, the only thing that's going to give you peace is for us to pay for the books. So just make that decision and pay for the books. And I prayed and prayed and, you know, I, I, I sent, I don't know, probably 30 emails to my editor, Rod. And, and finally, I just said, 
we need to buy these books. And can I just tell you, I felt sick about it. You know, it's so wasteful. It's so all this kind of stuff. But there were so many things I was disappointed in myself about. One, making the mistake in the first place. I understand it what, you know, we were in between. And all I had to do that day was send a note to my editor saying, hey, could you change this name? Instead, I thought, okay, well, I'll do it in the next round of revision. So lesson learned, my memory is not reliable and I need to do things when I need to do them. The second thing that was so disappointing was how long it took me to get to the right decision. I, I just, uh, you know, it's, it, it was such a wrestling and there, it showed me some very ugly sides of myself. You know, ultimately the right decision was made. But it was, it, it took way too long to get there. Yeah, it was frustrating on so many levels. So the next day, Mary, I get an email from my editor, Rod. He says, well, the bad news is we're behind schedule. <gasps> the good news is it hasn't gone to the printer. The change has been made. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I had noticed that it had, gone, it had gone to the printer. I mean, but, you know. Regardless of that result, which thank I, I I thank God for every day. I thank God for I think about this often, but it really showed me um, I needed to do some pre-deciding in my life about what my values are and what I will do and won't do. It so you know it's not the most flattering story, ta-da! But it's been one of the most life-changing experiences for me and how I conduct myself. So how long ago was this? So that it was probably, I would say seven or eight years ago. Okay. And so you had some soul searching afterwards. And what did you do to kind of arrive at your new moral compass? Or how did you kind of work through that? Or what, what process did you take? You know, I think it's very easy to say we know what to, you know, there was nothing biblical necessarily that I was fighting against. It wasn't. I wasn't lying to anybody. I wasn't stealing. I I've wasn't decided not to murder anymore. That's my new moral <laughs> compass. Yeah, I've made a new decision. <laughs> but uh, you know, it it showed me that what I talked about and how I acted in private were not always congruous. And so, one of the things that has come out of that is. I, I do something now, it's it's called uh, a personal manifesto. And it's almost like a code of behavior. You know, you've seen these in people's houses. In this family, we respect we will, each other. Yeah. Yeah. So this was my own thing about how do I want to walk in this world? Not just the biblical aspects, even though those are my first priority. But second of all, how do I want to live every single day? So, yeah, I've made, I've done this personal manifesto. Uh, it's, there are things about integrity there, you know, and so it's pre-decided. So if I, if I had this issue again, you know, number three on my personal manifesto currently, it changes all the time, not that ethics change all the time, but they do have to be updated. So like the first few on there, I love God, my family and my people. I'm on Roger's team always. I honor my commitments. Mm. Period. If I say that I'm somebody who honors my commitments, then that means that I pay for the books. There doesn't have to be a wrestling. It's pre-decided. I'm not having to decide in the moment. It's pre-decided. 
I give generously as God directs. I cannot buy good health. I must earn it daily. So some of these, I'm not exactly there, but this is how I want to live my life so that I can be there. So this has actually been very, very helpful in other things that have come up just to say, okay, it's already been pre-decided. I don't have to spend time stressing about this. Yes, it may cost me more time or it may cost me more money, but these are the things that I, and then also Roger and I have agreed on and how we want to live. I love that. And did you have a process that you went through to get to your manifesto? It sounds like you update it yearly or a certain, you know, when your life changes or. Yeah, I, I sometimes update it weekly. <laughs> it's, that's really how it goes. Uh, we, I talk about the process in, in overwhelm, but let me give you just some brainstorming ideas. I think that for a lot of people, it's very hard to do a personal manifesto because they feel like they're lying. If I put things in present tense, you know, I, but I'm, I'm not somebody, there yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Right. But I think one of the biggest barriers to being there is not allowing ourselves to believe that we can be there, that God can change us from, change the very fiber of who we are in some ways to become that person that he's called us to be. So I, I would say, take a look at the things that are really stressing you in your life, that maybe it's about finances, maybe it's about relationships, and say, on my best self, with God's help, how do I behave in these situations? You know, I one of the things in there, I tell the truth, but I lead with love. Because I had some people in my life who were truth tellers. Whenever, <laughs> yeah, I have another word for them, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I do want to be a truth teller. I don't want to be somebody who can't, you know, sugarcoats things. But I always want to tell the truth because it's the loving thing to do. It's the thing that will bring either the relationship that'll build us up or it's going to build into the person. I want to choose love each and every time. And so... I would brainstorm those areas that you're struggling with and then put in a couple of easy ones. So a couple of easy ones for me were I'm on Roger's team always. But you know what that did for me? It said it's easy for me to say I'm on Roger's team. But if somebody invites me to go do something on a night where I know he's going to be home, I have to remember, I'm always on Roger's team. So what does, what, how does that look different? One of the things that made that a big change for me is I know the week before Easter and the week before Christmas, my husband is a crazy man because of tech, tech at church. Yes, yes, yeah. Exactly. You, you understand this. <laughs> and so what does it mean that I'm on Roger's team always? It means that one of the things that makes him happiest is when I show up on his tech nights and I either bring him dinner or I kidnap him for 45 minutes and I take him away. And can I just tell you, it's not fun to go park at this crazy busy church. It's not fun sometimes to go. I, I mean, I, I'm thinking, oh man, I have a night to myself. I could watch, you know, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> my jammies. It's cold out there. But I'm on Roger's team always. And one of the best ways I can be a cheerleader to him is to show up with the latte or show up with the dinner. So those are some of the ways as we start to think about it, put a couple of ones that are easier for you in there. And then a couple of ones that have a growing edge. <laughs> and then as you look at it, if there are things that need to be added, add them. 
it's okay. You know, this, I don't want you, people want to spend days and weeks putting this together. I'd say if it's taking you more than two hours, just start with one statement and add on to it. I love that. And I really do hope listeners will take that to heart and pick up your book as well and learn how to to create that. Because I think having that filter to, to sift through your decisions is really good. One of the ones that you said that resonated with me was about your health. And as someone who's trying to, I'm trying to run a marathon in April. So (laughs) it's a super scary thing. But tell us again how you you worded that because I I like the way you worded it. I cannot buy good health. I must earn it daily. Yeah. You know, Mary, I have the best insurance of anybody I know. My husband works for, you know, a Fortune 100 company, a Fortune 50 company. I told all my kids, get everything fixed before you're 26. Because <laughs> you will never have insurance like this again. But I, I also see it as a crutch sometimes. that, And it's a sick way of looking at things. But we can't buy good health. We have to earn it every day. And so that means when I look at my manifesto, that has to go into my my daily habits. So uh, you know, I cannot buy good health. I must earn it daily. That means that if I have something on my manifesto and it's not part of my daily routine or my weekly routine, it means that I haven't integrated it into my life. And if the manifesto is something that you're interested in doing for yourself, and I really suggest everybody do this for themselves, and we've encouraged our kids to do it, and it's been fascinating to see some of the results for that. But we'll, we'll I'll share a link with your your listeners so that they can go check out other people's manifestos. Beg, borrow, steal from one of the other manifestos because y- you'll hear wording there that you want to incorporate for yourself, just like you did with I Cannot Buy Good Health. When are you running this marathon? Uh, in April, April 2nd. Okay, I am going to put that on my calendar to be praying for you, my friend. <laughs> Wow, that's impressive. It's amazing. I really don't want to die, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I think you will. I think you'll wish you wanted, you would die. <laughs> yes, I, I may be thinking that. <laughs> yeah, so I'll share that in the show notes with people about where they can find that. And I, I've listened to uh, Happier Every Day with Gretchen Rubin, and I know she does that as well. So, Oh, I didn't know that. So when she and her sister went to Seattle to to present, they had people send their manifestos ahead of time and they shared them in their like live podcast that they did. So I thought that oh, was cool. Oh, very, very cool. I'll have to go listen to that because I love to hear the wording of other people. Yeah. So helpful. Some people did their entire manifesto as like a living poem. Some people did the, as just Bible verses. I needed something a little bit more tangible, a little bit more checkmarky, because that's just who I am. But you know, these things are are based in who who God's trying to grow me into being. And so, you know, simple things like I spend time with God daily. I help other be others be world changers. I tell people I love them and I'm proud of them, which is. You know, it's a change for me. I feel, think, and act grateful every day. And so if I don't see that showing up in my life, you know, I kind of check in with my manifesto once a week and say, okay, where am I at with stuff? Am I living this stuff out? Where do I need to grow? I love that. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice grid. And like you said, a, a checklist and I'm totally a checklist person. So 
I mean, <laughs> this it's is cool. gentler than a New Year's resolution. Yes. Because we all know that New Year's resolutions just don't work. But having a manifesto saying, this is who I'm becoming, and I don't have to do it all in one day. I don't have to change my entire life in one day. This is who I'm growing into is a gentler, kinder, more self-caring way of getting to the change you want. I love that. So as you look back over the situation that caused you to make a manifesto in the first place, what kind of advice would you give someone in a similar situation where they're making kind of a moral decision like that? Yeah. So if you haven't done your manifesto, that's okay. I would say before you get into that situation, make some pre-decisions. You know, it just, it, it takes all the anxiety and lessens it in such a tangible way. And so I would say make some pre-decisions, but then also if you're having a hard time making a decision for your temporary situation, make a bold decision about based on who you would like to become. So I know that there were many things I could have done in that situation. I could have talked to my publisher and I could have said, can I do a payment plan? Is there, are there things about this that I don't understand that maybe it's not as bad of a circumstance as I think it is? Because I really didn't know all the realities of the situation. And there were, so there were other things that I could have done. You know, my temptation there and my reality was I panicked first and then finally came to a good decision. But had I had to make that decision in about 10 minutes, I don't know what my decision would have been. And so fortunately, I had the whole night. I had wise counsel from Roger. I had the buffer of all these hours where there was nothing that could be done because nobody was in the office. But so I would say, you know, find out all the facts, figure out how to get people on your team to help you unravel this. Yeah, I felt like the problem was all mine. What I was ignoring was Roger was there. My publisher, I have a good relationship with them. They were there for me. We, I could have gotten people on my team, but I chose to at first panic as a lone wolf. So get people on your team, find out all the facts and then, you know, find out what your options are. But make the decision based on who you want to be, not the the temporary fear and panic that pulls us into tiny decisions. You want this to be a big decision. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, we mistake panic for inspiration. And uh, that has really helped me over the years because, you know, you get into panic mode and you just, uh, you just make a decision. Yes, yes. Because you... It decision, first of all, we suffer from decision fatigue. We have to make so many decisions all the time. And then we just want to get it over with. Okay, I'm going to make some decision and boom. Well, you know, we need to be thoughtful in those decisions because those don't just impact our lives, they impact other people's lives. And so taking that to God and saying, you know, show me your resources, show me what direction you want me to go. And sometimes we just have to sit in the muck of what we've done. Uh, But let me tell you, I've never forgotten an editorial issue since then. (laughs) You sobered up. (laughs) Yes. But you know what? Here's the great thing. Uh, It was so funny when the book came out, the me project came out, I got this really, really long email from my publisher and they were broken hearted. And I said, you know, I'm reading this. What had happened was they misspelled my name on the author page. Oh, 
Now, a book before that, I may have been like, how dare you? Yeah. After they saved my baby, I'm like, I could not care less. Are you kidding me? So, you know, that that redemption turns into grace in a million different ways. And so, yeah, I, I only good came out of this because it didn't go to print, you know. And, I mean, we were, there was a restoration there, and I was so grateful. Yeah. I do, I do think that's true. I think it's true in our relationship with God. We experience so much grace from him that we can't help but extend it to others, which is a gift as well. Yes. So as you look, my last question is, as you look over your last year, how has God restoried you? How has he given you a new story in the past 12 months or so? Well, I really think this personal manifesto has has changed so much. For, well, and I'm sharing it with other people, and it's really exciting to see that because now I'm not just a practitioner. I'm, you know, I'm helping other women figure this out. And it's been so life changing for so many women to really think about what God's possibilities and this idea of pre-deciding, you know, and I, I see myself as such a work in progress, you know, and in process too, you know, there's, there's two sides to it, you know, not saying that who, what I needed to change a week ago doesn't need to be changed again. And so uh, honestly seeing God retooling me and sharpening off rough edges and figuring out where is it I need to concentrate my growth this year. And so that's been really exciting and just not going to panic immediately. That I think that's been one of the biggest things this year is being able to take a deep breath and say, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why we're here. But after my initial blip of panic, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? What do I need to be? And when I can concentrate on those, the situation, oftentimes I can pray as long as I want to. God's not changing the situation. He's changing my heart about the situation. Right. I'm so grateful for that yes. <laughs> in my own life, too. It's just, yes. and, and two, to remember that suffering serves us. And if we are suffering, that there's going to be a weight of glory because of that suffering in the future. And we may not see it now, but we'll see it someday. It almost makes it sound like we want to be okay with the suffering, which is really hard. Yeah. But yeah. You know, it's so true. I, I don't grow during easy times. Mm -mm. I just don't. Nope. I, I hear you. I hear you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being on the Restory show this week. You have been a blessing and I am excited just to introduce my audience to you because I think there's a lot to learn there. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. It's an honor anytime I get to hang out with you. And <laughs> I love the idea of Restory because it just, it's, it's amazing what God can do to rewrite over what has happened. So thank you so much for inviting me on. The Restory Show is all about community, and I want you to have the opportunity to tell your amazing story. All you have to do is click the gray box on the upper right-hand side of marydemuth.com, and it says, Share Your Story. You have up to two minutes to tell us what's going on in your life and to share an encouraging story with the Restory Show listeners. And now, let's listen to a new story. Hi, my name is Genesis Glass. I came on here to share my story just about overcoming a lot of trials and tribulations that I have gone through with being in a Baptist church. 
I've experienced humiliation and fear and isolation and just not feeling like I'm enough. And with that being said, I will, you know, withdraw from church. I would, you know, doubt myself. It was to the point where I didn't want to be here anymore. And I figured, why should I be here if no one understands what Genesis is going through? Why should I be here if no one understands how I feel? And until this day, I still struggle with those things. And um, it's kind of hard because it kind of makes you wonder, you know, are you in this alone? Can people really understand what you're going through? And so um, recently I just, you know, I pray and I study and just try to stay in good cheer because the enemy, he tries to attack me from left and right with, you know, wicked and negative thoughts about my identity and about my self-worth and me just not feeling like I'm enough in the church. So um, I just know that I know that God loves me and I know that whatever he wants to happen in my life, it would happen because I don't want to settle and um, I want better. So that's just my story and I'm just sharing my story with you guys and um, hope it's a blessing to you all, you know, just finding your self-worth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we do want to be in those situations where we automatically know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what we would do morally, um, ethically. And Lord, I do pray for those listening today who are considering creating their own manifesto that you would uh, help them very clearly decide the tenets of their lives so that they can tweak and retweak, but also go back to it and remember, no, this is the person that I am. Thank you that you have worked within us, that you take great pleasure in bringing us closer to you, and that you love that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm just so grateful that we're not doing this on our own. It's not the self-improvement thing, but it's you improving us. And our weakness is actually a place where we can marry that with your strength and good things can happen. So um, may this week be a week full of hope instead of despair, joy instead of sadness, and peace instead of chaos. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 2-16. And may you live a brand new story this week.